Cool. All right. Welcome to the semi-annual recording of the <laughs> Mercenary Podcast. Uh, I guess like the leap year, we do it every once in a while. And um, but I think I think we're back. I think this is now episode sixteen, right? Yeah. What episode is this? Sixteen. This is this is episode sixteen. We've, <laughs> we've got a few of these actually scheduled. They're on the books. So hopefully we can do this uh, as consistently as we we started out doing. Yeah. Every every three and a half weeks we were very consistent early on and uh people don't realize this that when you're actually the the way to actually be consistent is not to schedule them every week it's to schedule 10 in like two weeks and then release them every week so when we first started out it was usually it was just we did 10 in in like two weeks something yeah but then you got nothing else new to talk about you know i mean we can talk about things endlessly forever although that didn't seem like that big of a problem when we did it like I think the the guests that we had on were just had so many they, they were so deep that you could you could talk about what what they were interested in. Better um, yeah, better guests, less us for sure yeah. for sure. Um, so who do we have coming up? We have some interesting people potentially, right? So Cody Brown, um, who he originally he he sold his uh, his company to WordPress uh, a couple of years ago, and and now does has a company called IRL. Which is a since we're in real life. Uh, he's quickly VR blown through company. He exited in the high five figures, and he's quickly blown <laughs> through all of that money. And um, he made it last. Yeah, <laughs> he's here to talk about it. Uh, yeah, we saw him. We saw him briefly in New York. Where we I was there. You you live in New York now, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Astoria, and uh, yeah, we saw him uh, in New York after. Toronto in the in the fall. It seems like he's doing interesting stuff. I mean, he he and I he actually introduced me to, to 360 video and virtual reality, so we have him to to blame for that. Um, but he, um, yeah, he I saw him in LA a few years ago. He had one of the original Oculus sort of starter kits, and so he and I have been very he earlier than me, but earlier adopters of uh, of VR technology. So it should be a lot to talk about. Yeah, you guys, uh, you need to try it in the the float tank. That's the that's the next thing. I, th- I still think I'm the only person in the world to have brought a VR setup into a float tank. Well, I think it's not, getting not there. gotten electrocuted. Yeah. Well, the only thing is about that is that you know the most progressive. So we'll talk about this a little bit, but you know, there's very there's different um, sort of classes of of VR, and everyone talks about it incorrectly. But really, there's like 360 video, which is literally just video that is like a. Uh, you know, like a planetarium, it's a, equi- a rectangular image that's been squashed, and that you there's no interactivity besides looking around the image. There's that, mm-hmm. and then there's true VR, which is almost more of a gaming construct, and true VR, which is really that, and AR, which is just holograms, you know, uh, projected in real life. That's really the future because you can walk around a room and you can really interact with stuff and you can pick things up, and so. I think that just the flow tank doesn't mitigate that, but does prevent you from walking around. So I think that would be an interesting. We should. It's an interesting conversation to have. I'd be curious to see what he thinks about that. Yeah, I guess we we didn't really have that conversation. Uh, well, we will. We definitely will. We will. Um, who else we got? Uh, Nate Abelay is going to come on. He is a the CEO of a company called Ratify, and. Um, not like constitutional ratification, but ratify like yeah, that's rad. 
but he makes um, applications kind of like I do. Uh, he's got a company that's that's been doing it for years. Um, he's a, a so he, he's he's widely regarded in the the Angular JS community, which probably means nothing to you, but is uh, is is kind of important to me. It's something I, I can I can assume what that means, but it's probably <laughs> massively incorrect. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a framework that Google came up with, but he's also um, very well spoken and very libertarian. So I'm I'm excited to have him on. And we could talk yeah. about what we think of Gary Johnson and uh, great, what that fantastic, <laughs> and hopefully we can um, get that in before the uh, before the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be um, it'll be on everyone's top of their their list, and and most likely we won't release it until December, and it'll mean a lot yep, by then. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll squeeze but, that one out uh, fairly quickly. Um, uh, yeah, I played email tag with him. I was supposed to talk to him, and then he and I both did that thing where we just could not find times to talk and then after like three times both said fuck it so i'm glad that now we are going to talk on the podcast so cool. we'll, we'll catch up on everything um uh eric eric said he's interested he may come on so we'll 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 see um who is uh, eric uh eric heiser says he might come on he might do uh he's very busy with his promotion of the movie arrival which he wrote and is an executive producer of which yeah, opens awesome. rather soon. So, yeah, I love interesting, cerebral, well thought out, intellectual sci-fi. So I'm excited for uh, excited to see it. Yeah, and that comes out what November 10th or something like that. I think, so like, I think the eleventh next Friday. Let's see what is it? Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go see that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, reviews have been great so far, and um, there's really interesting article actually ironically enough in business insider today on eric um because and i thought it was a really cool look at sort of the somewhat circuitous route that sometimes people just have a really uh it's not that people have the wrong impression of how things sort of get made or how they they work but they just have a very linear um view of how things work right and that's i think that's part of why I wanted to start this podcast with you is just to figure out how people got to where they they got to in in the most honest way possible. Just failing up, yeah. just failing up. Well, yeah, because I think there's a lot of these podcasts and a lot of the podcasts that I watch, um, where eventually, if you watch enough of them, it just becomes, "What are your ten rules for success?" And it's like, uh, like another one. Usually, they're the same. Um, you, you, there's no, there's usually like not a novel answer to that question um so what i, I like to just hear is is just like wh what do you do exactly day to day um how like wh how do you feel about what you do and how did you actually get there and it's usually a funny story um yeah we should definitely get back on message for that too i feel like we we meander a lot but i think that that is that definitely came across i think i tweeted it out but you should check out the article from business insider because you know, his thing was, I, I did this, but then it didn't lead to this, and then this happened, and then I did this. And it was very, it was pretty blunt and honest, and I think that his um, his view of things, but, I mean, ultimately the reason the movie, that, that yeah, lots of reasons, but the reason it kept sort of being, you know, it, it was there, it was because he just really cared about it, and it was sort of his passion project, and he just never, like, let it go, although it took, like, 10, 11 years to get made. So I think... Yeah, the and thing this is, with, like, to describe this for the audience, like, this is the movie where a whole bunch of 
like odd looking spaceships land we can't speak to the aliens they don't and it, they don't seem hostile and then i think it's amy adams job to kind of like come up with a, a some kind of language or a way to speak to them uh yeah yeah and it's the same um same director i'm probably going to destroy his name but i believe it's david villanueva or villanueva um who did prisoners and um did the other uh jake gyllenhaal film with the the spiders which name escapes me right now um but has done a lot of interesting interesting films that one's either double or it's enemy isn't it enemy yeah i think the book is called double gotcha yeah well we sound really smart right um well in in uh, other news like at this let's kind of get into what we've been up to um the company that I, I worked for, uh, RJ Metrics, recently got acquired in at the end of June of this year of 2016. Excellent. Um, yeah, which is really exciting. Um, I'm now off doing my, my own thing with a company called Voyager Scientific, which um, basically just helps companies deal with the fact that they, they might have an understanding that their IT systems are subpar and they have a lot of paper. And, but they don't really know what to do or how to change or what to buy or build. So they hire me to kind of be a interim CTO and make those decisions for them. Um, but the RJ Metrics acquisition has been um, pretty interesting. We, one of our, our biggest um, kind of integrations, Magento, which is a, if, if you bought something on the Internet and it wasn't Amazon, odds are uh, you bought something from someone that, that was running Magento as a shopping cart. Never heard of Magento ever. Yeah, and that's and they're huge. Um, eBay used to own them, and they got spun out. I think they got bought by a private equity firm, and I think what's and I think they're they're probably gonna be, they're trying to beef up their offering uh, to go public. So it made a lot of sense to buy an analytics package that works really well with Magento. Um, and um, yeah, and that's. And that, that's been great. We spun out uh, a product that I was uh, lucky enough to work on um, called Stitch as its own company. Uh, and that pretty much just takes a bunch of data from, from one spot. <laughs> Let's say you've got stuff in Salesforce, you've got uh, your own database, you've got Magento. And you just want to do a big copy and paste into one database so that you can take a look at data across different sources. So, instead so it's of- like a better Zapier but specifically for Salesforce. Yeah, it, well, it's just for analytics, pretty much. Um, so we, we, we'll grab a lot of the of the data that maybe Zapier might not get. Um, but yeah, it's just a big copy and paste. Yeah, Zapier's fine. It's like not the. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's I mean, not... I I remember when Zapier first came out. Like I have a lot of experience using it, kind of doing hackathony kind of stuff. I don't have much experience using it in a production setting, and I think you actually have more experience doing that than I do now. Um, the issue that I have is just there's always it's it's a tough thing to debug in a in a user interface the way that they have it. So if you have a problem, it's it's not always clear that it's Zapier's fault, that it's the integration's fault, that it's your fault. Yeah, and that's where I lose a lot of time using something like Zapier versus writing a script and running that. Moving. So who's using who's using Stitch? What's what's happening with it now? Um, it's a lot of a lot of companies that were like a lot of e-commerce companies, um, but there's a, a lot more. I think they're getting a lot more like uh, like gaming companies or um, software as a service businesses. Um, cool. Yeah, 
So obviously you you sold out, made lots of money, <laughs> and now you're, yeah, we, you're just living the life. Yeah, we didn't get rich, but at the same time, I have a ton of freedom right now. Uh, for the last few months, it's been. I mean, we we hung out in Toronto. I know we made a, a point to want to talk about that. Um, but it's it's really nice to be able to, at a moment's notice, um, pretty much go anywhere in the world. Yeah, it seems like you you went to Cal, you went to uh, you know like Northern California recently, and yeah, just had a little in, more San freedom Francisco, to do that kind of stuff. Drank a ton of wine. I was there for a little bit of Salesforce, uh, Dreamforce, that conference. Saw a lot of people. Um, going to uh, Philadelphia tomorrow. Um, going to Costa Rica in in December. Going to spend most of December in Costa Rica. Excellent. That's going to be interesting. I I think. It, what I'm doing right now is really trying to go to as many places there where I I think they fit my criteria for possibly living for months at a time. Yeah. So I'm trying on all these different places. And what I want to do is either be on like the East Coast in, in like the fall and the spring and then in the winter go somewhere warm possibly. Um, well, that's and we might do New Orleans for New Year's, which would be cool. We should talk about that. Yeah, we should definitely um, consider that. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Um uh, errors and admissions. Uh, it's actually the director of Arrival who directed Enemy and Prisoners, and is directing the Blade Runner reboot. I did butcher his name, but I actually got his first name wrong as well. So his name is Dennis <laughs> Villeneuve. So there we there we go. Okay. Little little correction, self self corrected. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think there's this continuously sort of up in the air thing that may be happening um, outside of LA. And we talked about this a little bit before, but I am probably going to keep my place in LA, but I'm definitely going to get rid of my car, which seems insane. But yeah, that's, I mean, and Uber allows that, right? Like, that is kind of the point there. Yeah. And also, look, it's just better. I mean, like, you know, in LA, you, you know, like, you, you want to be, we go out and we do Uber, like, honestly, whenever we're partying or going out and we're like, going to have, a few drinks we sort of uber or lyft anyway so it's sort of a thing where you're paying for something and if you're going to go out like you have to sort of do that anyway plus you're never here plus the fact that they've been experimenting a lot i'm not sure this will ever get to new york but um you know lyft line had this promotion that i i saw that they're all trying these flat passes and there's a promotion with lyft where they you can pay yeah go ahead no, you could pay like twenty bucks, and then it was flat two dollar lift line unlimited for up to twenty rides in a month. I think this and, is like yeah, in in New York they had this for I think Uber, and it was a little different. It wasn't worth it for me. Where it was, I think it was like below Central Park. Anything below Central Park and like just above the financial district, or let's say like Houston, it was two hundred fifty bucks a month unlimited Ubers. Yeah, that's like that's like barely on the edge of of being worth it. I think for yeah, you because yeah, I mean, the you issue, like, you still need the unlimited Metro card even with that. So right, yeah. Maybe, and if I ever need an Uber in New York, it's to get back to my place late at night, and that's the only time I ever use it, or to go to my girlfriend's place. Like that's not really accessible through the uh, subway. <laughs> it's just not accessible at all. No, like uh, if you try to go across Queens, it's like you can't, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna well, they, they're they're gonna build something in like twenty years from now. That's that kind of connects from where I am 
through like down through like the side of Queens, like almost to Flushing, through Brooklyn, all the way to Staten Island. That's going to be pretty epic, but it, and it's going to be above ground. Yeah, it's sort of like when when we saw the the Second Avenue subway, and we're like coming in 2017, right. and we're like, oh, it's so long ago, <laughs> we're so far away. And then yeah, it was are. 2007 at the time. Um. Yeah, so I, I got to see about LA and the car thing, but I think I think it's going to work out, and I'm actually all, also like most excited for. Um, I'm a little bit concerned because on the one hand, I feel like I'll get places like ten minutes later, just because Uber and Lyft drivers just don't drive as aggressively as I'd like them to be. So I feel like they just don't, you know, get played. But at the same time, I'm not parking, so I feel like I'll I'll gain that time back and. Um, there's sort of an opportunity cost gain by being able to work more in the car. So it is I'll been, probably gain it out. It's been so there. long since a car was a like an everyday thing for me, like driving a car, that I almost don't even appreciate like what you're about to do. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but I also do it too. Where like I have an office in Santa Monica that I I haven't been going to recently in the past week, but I generally go to like twice a week, work from home a week, a day a week, and then I have meetings in different places that I gather together. So generally, it's not exactly, um, you know, like I'm not driving across town every day because I try and schedule like that so that I'm I'm trying to keep things in the same place because you sort of have to do that here if if you can. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. That's a big thing, and then, um, yeah, I'm sort of experimenting. I can't quite go to Costa Rica, but I'm excited to kind of do some other sort of living. There's always like off years in this production years, and I think next year is going to be a production year where I'm probably going to be out of LA for probably almost half the year. So it should be should be cool. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That you like we were talking about this a while ago. That you're really not in your apartment most of the time or at least the, I, I think one of the past years you were kind of like that yeah and it's sort of the thing where like i was almost con- sort of considering maybe buying a place not in los angeles <laughs> and then just like st- yeah. and then just like staying in hotels <laughs> i i considered the same thing a friend of mine just he's he's living in san francisco i, I was visiting him while, while i was out there and he just um built a house in Coeur d'Alene, I think is how you say it, in, in Idaho, which mm. is like near Spokane, Washington. It's a beautiful town. And it's not like the cheapest place, but it's, I mean, certainly cheaper than uh, than San Francisco. And he works for Dell, and he was just like, this was actually easier. Uh, it, it's just as easy if he go, goes in one or two days a week um, and flies in versus, you know, getting another job. He could just keep his job that's in the Bay Area. Yeah, it's not impossible. I, I think it kind of comes down to everything that's project-based and how, it, you know, if you can be very project-based and you're very much like getting stuff together and then you're sort of attacking things project to project and you're meeting with somebody in a very focused amount of time and then you get it done, I think you can do that. You know, like if you're just going in and, and, and you're three weeks that's very focused on this or a day or two a week on this, it can be done if, with the right balance. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I think about, and now that I have this freedom to do this, I, I constantly question, do I, should I have a long-term apartment like the one I have right now? Um, the, and the issue is, it, on the one hand, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's going to 
most of the time it's going to be cheaper to, to get a long-term apartment just because of economies of scale um, and have it and then air let's say Airbnb it which is kind of a pain in the ass like if you're traveling somewhere and actually like having to deal with your travel plans plus someone that is coming in for an Airbnb and maybe they're not coming in on the same day that you're leaving can be yeah it can be an issue um, and also, like, it might not even be like enough money to make it really worth it. Uh, I, I actually found that that's it's been kind of weird. Like, um, even in like Astoria, New York, you don't you can't command the high kind of prices that Airbnbs can in, in Manhattan, just because people don't think to to even look in Astoria. Yeah, it's I can see that. I can see where it's just not it's just not really worth it at that point to do it. Where you're sort of like, well. Yeah, I'm getting a few hundred dollars back or even more than that for an extended period, but it's just sort of like what's the you know, what if I had to cut my trip short and then I come back and my place isn't available? Like that's sort of the yeah. pitfall of the sharing economy. Yeah. So like it is kind of a problem. And and now they, they actually just they just passed a law in New York that I, I don't think this actually affects me because you're not allowed to advertise or rent your place, your entire place for less than thirty days. Um but you are like so. I live with my brother. We have a two bedroom. I think I can I can rent my bedroom out as much as I want as long as he's here. Hmm. So that's so that's fine. But the thing yeah, I, it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Well, the thing I think about is like, well, should I just like, should I just live somewhere? Should I get a place that is? And I was looking in like Lancaster, PA, where it's like pretty cheap. And have that be my home base where I'm there like three months out of the year and then I can, you know, I just kind of live elsewhere the rest of the time. I mean, it wouldn't be worth, I mean, it wouldn't be bad just having that. Like if you can own a place and then maybe just do that and make it work and then try and sell it by the time you want to like really settle down. I, I can't see that being like owning something is never really a bad idea. So I can see that being, I can see the benefits of that. It kind of depends if you just want some people just like routine. Some people don't like just traveling around constantly. I find that I have to sort of do it every few months or my productivity sort of, you know, just, just drops. Well, you have to get out and go somewhere? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, like, I, I would like... It's, I, I, I have to way. sort of keep it fresh, yeah. Like, it's definitely inspiring um, to just go out and, and just be somewhere that's different. Or, like, just feel uncomfortable. Because I will say, like, I don't, I don't have to go to an office, and I have I can check into co-working spaces, like, all over New York. Um, but I, for the most part, I don't. Because it's very easy to make the argument that, like, uh, well, you know, you can, you can get more done if you just open your laptop right now <laughs> and sit on the couch and just get, and just get work done. Or, yeah, there's, there's a placebo effect, for sure, about yeah. just going somewhere. But, but every um, now and then, like, I'll just, I'll spend part of the day just walking around Manhattan, just looking at at people uh like <laughs> who who are who look like they're on a mission and it actually like makes me want to work harder too sure so um yeah cool so i was gonna say we have a bunch of interesting people uh coming on soon but we uh i guess yeah since the last podcast i mean a lot has happened but um let's um let's talk about toronto for <clears> a second <throat> we like i came to visit you out at the toronto international film festival in, uh, yeah, so a movie, yeah, a movie that I was a producer on called the Belco Experiment that was done 
uh, in conjunction with with MGM. It was also uh, was produced uh, by Peter Safran and James Gunn, who also wrote it. Who um, who did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Wrote and directed that movie and Guardians of the Galaxy Two, which is coming out next year. And um, and yeah, and and Jason Blum's company, who's behind Paranormal Activity and Insidious and The Purge, uh, division of his company called Blumhouse Tilt, will be releasing it pretty wide uh, on March seventeenth of next year. And yeah, that's awesome. Um, no, thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, we'll get into it in a second, but yeah, that's all. It's happening, and uh, the trailer will come out. Uh, I can't say for sure, but it'll come out before the end of the year. Well, one of the so. things, like, so that's it. Sounds like that's a real movie, you know. Like, one of the things that I find is that's funny is like I try to if if someone asks like, oh, who do you do the podcast with, or, or if someone who doesn't know you, I try to describe you. I'm like, well, he makes movies, you know, in in L.A. And I, I, but I try to make it sound like you actually make real movies and you're not just someone who's, who's kind of like, uh, who's, who's just kind of faking it, but also yeah, occasionally make a real movie, like, yeah. not, not all the time. Sometimes no, but also sometimes try not no, to be like, um, like snooty or like, you know, like, oh, he's a, he's like a Hollywood producer, you know, my, my buddy Dan, you know, don't, yeah, but never say that. <laughs> But it's, um, it's difficult. Like, what am I supposed to say? It's just like, well, he makes he makes movies. They're, they're in theaters sometimes. Yeah, sometimes sometimes they get real releases. I think uh, you know the the equation of that is is ever changing to what that really means, which is really interesting. Um, you tweeted out a link of why hasn't the film industry been disrupted yet? And it's like, yeah, it's been massively disrupted right. since two thousand seven when home video cratered. Um, but yeah, no, Belco had a great premiere at at TIFF. It was definitely, it's definitely a weird movie. It's definitely, it's definitely violent. Um, what were your? So I, when I was watching it, I don't even know what kind of triggered this. Like, I don't know if it was the the partying that we did the night before, which we didn't do a whole <laughs> lot of. But I, I was I was sitting there and I was in the sitting. I probably had the best seat in the house, um, right in the middle of the entire. And it's a huge theater too. It was theater, a midnight yeah. madness screening. There was twelve hundred people, which is probably the huge theater and i was like i might throw up (laughs) watching this movie watching heads explode i was like i may throw up i was just sitting there like this would not be good (laughs) or maybe it'd be great that would be like a great great uh uh write-up for your movie it's it sickened one of the the members of the audience yeah yeah that would be that would be great i mean some people do that as publicity stunts so you know you never you never quite know um but yeah, we can't give too much away about the actual content of the movie. Um, although the trailer will give uh, a bunch away. Uh, no, it's actually it's a very good trailer, so it gives just enough away. But I think people will like that. Yes. Um, it actually doesn't give. It's funny. It doesn't um, compared to what is in the movie. I think the trailer is very, it's very satisfying without uh, giving too much away. But yeah, I mean the whole conceit. How would you describe the conceit of the movie? The conceit of the movie. You know what's what's the what, what's your what's your pitch after seeing the movie? I, I should be doing this, but I'm making you do it. No, I'm thinking. Um, well, it's 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 a movie where it's um, you find a, a a whole group of otherwise good people that find themselves in a in a moral predicament, and you get to and you get to see people go quickly from. Uh, friendly co-workers who just who have different social dynamics into 
primal uh, characteristics of humanity and problem solving. Um, and people's heads explode. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good... I, I would have said Lord of the Flies meets Office Space. That would have been my quick... Okay, that's my, better. My quick, yeah, that's, that's a better um, way to describe that. But I think you had a, it's a very cerebral uh, approach to the what the movie's about, I would say. Because, um, yeah, what's interesting, I think, is that you meet a whole bunch of people. It's a huge ensemble cast. We shot in Columbia, which we've touched on before. And... Um, like 35 U.S. actors brought down to Columbia. Um, and there's a lot of people in the movie. And you sort of spend a decent amount of time as much as you can, I think, with all these different people that, you know, the funniest thing to me is that they all form sort of alliances with each other so that they start out with sort of boss secretary or coworker and this person and all, all, all these sort of the fractures of these relationships are sort of under the surface, but they get brought out once things sort of go off the rails yep so yeah it was it was funny seeing that and i think that yeah the response was the reviews have been for um this sort of insane horror movie but it's really i mean i got a lot of laughs i think i think people i got a lot of laughs in the theater yeah, just because it it's so dark and i, th- <laughs> I think that like the, i guess i didn't expect this because i don't go to see horror movies i don't i don't watch them at home too much and i i definitely don't go to see them in theaters but there's this kind of like people are just there have this like bloodlust and they're in the theater they're like yeah like when they see something crazy happen so i i think i feel like that happens a lot at horror movies like if you're really into them you're just you're just in it for like the the, the kind of the i don't know it's, i want to say the gotcha but it's not that it's just like you, like you know that stuff is coming like you know like someone's going to do something brutal or like and it's not like people are scared they just get like uh, like a thrill from it and they will shout at the screen and like <laughs> yeah it was very interactive and stuff it, was, and it was fun yeah, yeah um, so there was a lot of that that was pretty cool uh, so yeah that was I would say as a, it was a midnight madness which is like generally how yeah it, it was a horror movie that premiered Actually, at the festival yeah it reminds yeah. me of the time that we saw snakes on a plane at midnight and we did exactly the same thing I didn't we I think we we were gonna bring in we were gonna bring in some not we, real snakes we, but we were gonna bring in some we plastic couldn't find snakes a place and, that would sell us uh, rubber snakes at 11:30 p.m. on a Tuesday yeah see it's all about planning and we <laughs> Plymouth <did>. meeting <laughs> yeah um, I remember we, that we were chanting snakes 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 people oh, were like sick. what did we who are these people why, why did they how we did were they we were pretty excited like? for it yeah I mean the you know it's sort of a slow burn snakes on a plane it takes a while to get started yeah but it's delivered it delivered yeah there there were snakes i mean you sort of knew you sort of knew what you're getting at so um but uh yeah we did that and then uh, it was pretty it's it was pretty funny just sort of seeing the film festivals in general are it's just a ton of people in a very small like space (laughs) and so it's a lot of people just in hotel lobbies, like getting drinks and then just like talking for like 17 minutes and moving on. And, um, and, uh, AFM, which is the American film market in Santa Monica is about to happen. And it's a bit of the same thing here, uh, in LA. But, um, yeah, what was your, what was your experience at Toronto? Like in the, well, first of all, your, your Airbnb got canceled. So that was, uh, yeah, that was fun. first experience. Um, I got scammed by an Airbnb listing that I probably should have scrutinized a little bit more. <laughs> they had a couple reviews. Zero were, recommendations. Yes, yeah, they had more than zero, but less than three, uh, and they weren't really 
well written. I, I booked it pretty quickly. It was a weird selfie avatar that it was very clickbaity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a girl making the duck face, and I just fell for it. Um, I got my money back. Every, like Airbnb actually handled it fine, but that was the first experience was getting scammed on an Airbnb. Um, uh, Toronto is, is very clean. I think that's that's a generally like a Canadian th- characteristic that's uh, that's pretty common. Sure. Um, it was yeah. It was, it was very clean. Um, there was there were Blue Jays fans everywhere. I think that was just based on where we were and the fact that the uh, the Blue Jays were playing. And the the stadium was right there. We got to see the uh, the CN Tower, which I still just call the Space Needle. Space Needle, yeah. It's the Canadian Space Needle, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was sick be- because uh, we the CN Tower rotates. We we had dinner up there, and the CN Tower just kind of you're you're rotating around the city. It's a bit off putting. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> At first, I was like, "This is kind of cool," and then I was like, "I, I kind of wish this would stop." Yeah, I feel I feel like we yeah we did we did everything. Um, met up with our old, uh, our old pal George Rifa uh, a few times. Yeah. Um, uh, bringing it back. Yeah, um, we, we were talking about the, so like his his music. He has this, this video that that uh, Dan shot. Like I want to say, like six, ten years seven ago. Years ago <laughs> it's like ten, 10 years, years ago. ago. <laughs> that actually, it sounds better now. Like it sounds like the song could have been on the radio now more than it did back then, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's I don't I don't know. It's a little bit trappy, I guess you could say, but I feel like it's sort of um it was a bit ahead of its time, I think in, in stylistically. Yeah. So, we shot this insane video. Yeah, look that up. George Rifa Paparazzi. Is the name I can't of the song. I want to see it now. It's uh, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I remember this was yeah, this this was insane. There're lots of great stories for this. Um but uh, I I would like to claim this. I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure if I can. But I'd like to claim that they're trying to figure out just like what what is the biggest denomination of note in the world, like in terms of like monetary policy. And and somebody was oh, right. like, oh, you know, the D- Democratic Republic of Congo has a one trillion dollar note or something and I was like, yeah, but it's not worth anything. Like it's not really yeah, there's probably Zimbabwe at the time. Right. Yeah. It, it, you don't yeah. want to be throwing I'm a monetary ar- policy buff, so you know. Sure. <laughs> uh you don't want to be throwing around that. And so I forget we sort of touched on a few things. I think we sort of settled on the because the Euro was a lot stronger back then. And we sort of settled on the five hundred Euro note, which um uh, we thought would you know that was like eight hundred dollars back then. So we made a lot of fake euros, and we actually, I think they actually turned out pretty well. And I mean, we, I I, didn't, I never got to see them in person, but like they looked real. <laughs> they looked pretty real for, for in uh, in photos. Yeah. So there's we threw out a lot of euros. Um, there's Kawasaki's chasing George Rufa in a Porsche, and he's throwing money at them. Um, there's a lot of shots of the CN Tower. It's actually a pretty big video. Um, yeah, and, for a bunch uh, of like twenty year olds to produce. Yeah, yeah, we made this. Yeah, we made this when we were like twenty. Yeah, for sure. So that was great. I was always blown away by that, but like the 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 level that at like eighteen nineteen of production that you were doing. Uh, yeah, it was p- pure luck because there's. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. I remember. I think we, we ran out of money, and so we actually drove home from Toronto to New York, which was not good. 
um, that Nick Shakespeare was up there. Um, Vlad came. Vlad, I think Vlad almost killed us driving back uh, from New York in that in that van I used to own. Um, it was uh, it was a good time. It was it was a good time. And the video the video ends with him getting in this helicopter landed because these guys were like these guys helicoptered from like downtown Toronto every day to play golf. And they would like this helicopter landed and they ended up being our video, which I thought was pretty great. And um, and George just like walked towards it. And we were like, no, don't because he could have been like decapitated. And that would have been awful. Uh, so he, he like, was walking for a second. No, but you you can't walk towards a helicopter when because it's it's road. They it had just landed and it looks like it's landed to go pick him up, but it wasn't supposed to. Like we weren't supposed to be there. I feel like, or we were supposed to be there. We had a permit to be there, but we weren't supposed to be on the actual helipad. And so he just walked onto it. Yeah, and that you know was not. Uh, it's a good shot. Not, <laughs> it was worth it. It's a great shot, but yeah, he was like we were supposed to be in a specific area, and he just walked onto the helipad. So that was not. Not the best, but um, yeah, it was good. Good seeing him, and uh, we were in New York for. I went to Fashion Week in New York with Bernard. Uh, Bernard's wife had her show, and um, which was hilarious. And then I took a boxing lesson with Bernard's wife and Vivian, and I almost died because I didn't eat before, and uh, that was rough. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's. No, that's pretty. That's pretty much it. So, but yeah, you know, we also we launched the uh, the friends and family software, which is get it, which is uh, which is blowing up every day. Yeah, for the the small amount of work that that I did, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. Oh yeah, you uh, you, you contributed a, a ton on that. I would say. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so but, I, to, to give uh, to give whoever is listening like an idea of what friends and family is. Um, do, do you want to? Do you have like a little spiel? Yeah, so it's it's funny actually, and it's it sort of has grown. And I would I you know you probably make fun of me for using this word, but it has, sort of has transmogrified a little bit. Um, recently. I actually don't know that word. Uh, it, it's it's evolved and developed, and it's it's changed the inert basis of what it is made of. I think, um, but the simple idea is that forever, it, it's basically it's a market research platform, and. What's really interesting is that for years, people have been using, when they do stuff for films or TV, they do market research surveys where they get audiences into a room and they give them paper cards and you fill out paper cards and it takes, they do a focus group and of course the whole joke is that the only reason why they do the focus group is to stall for time so that they can like add up the cards manually and that's what everyone always says. And so the the whole thing is that we developed a program that allows people to do market uh, research screenings of even like for indie filmmakers to do it amongst their friends but to get centralized data very easily Mm -hmm. so by using digital card implementation on your on your your tablet or your phone or laptop or whatever um basically it takes all this data and centralizes it and it makes it a lot more uniform and it controls the data in a much better way it makes um make sure people answer questions they can't leave certain things blank they can't like leave things incomplete they can't scribble poorly because they're actually typing so it's been pretty cool so far a bunch of independent filmmakers have used it um it's uh it's definitely evolving to where we're now exploring a lot of film festival partnerships um where we had a a film that was completed a lot of people use this for 
during the editorial process when their movie is not done yet and they want to get feedback at that point. Um, yes, in the same way that people do user testing for software, um, you can do it for, for movies. And one of the things that I noticed when you describe this to me, I'm like, is everything on paper? And like, this is obviously, this is the lens that I kind of see the world through right now where it's, I'm looking for people that have some manual process that's fairly simple, but is can be a, a big pain to kind of like wrangle. Um, and that's what you, you were saying is that like, it, it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of kind of subjective guesswork going on when you're looking at these cards. Like, what did somebody write in? Like, is this the word they were using? Is this what they meant? Um, whereas if you just do it, if you standardize that with a, a kind of like a form builder um, and pull out, you know, something that can be more objective, um, you can get better results, which may, hopefully makes a better movie. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think the thing is, it's also sort of a binary system where you have people just not doing it or you're doing it by, I think even when we do stuff on our tiny movies, I, I've done it both ways. So I've done studio stuff where you you hire NRG or Screen Engine or some of these really established people to do these screens and they the cost of those screens, people don't really know this, but once you add in the theater costs, the recruitment costs, security, actually making elements for the the movie and 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 testing and and all this stuff, you know, on the high end it can be like twenty five thousand uh, dollars for a big studio film. Of course, that means recruiting several hundred people and you you over recruit, you do all this stuff. On the low end, it's around eleven. Like the cheapest you can really do one for one hundred ten people, it's like eleven thousand. Mm. It's a lot of money. Um, and traditionally, a lot of that, it's just the recruitment. Recruitment's gotten so hard because there's Netflix, there's, especially in LA, there's so many things to do. Um, traffic is awful at different times, but it, it's sort of a big thing. So on that side, on the other end of the spectrum, you essentially have um, indies who are like, I have 20 friends in a room watching a movie. Uh, I'm just going to take a survey with a show of hands afterwards and hope for the best. Mm. So... I've been in so many screenings where like people misremember there's like selective memory, like one loud person, I always call them like the hijacker of the screening will like, will say something that resonates, but isn't there. There's a silent majority that hasn't contributed to it. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I sort of wanted to make this and, and, yeah, it seems it seems kind of insane that you would allow your um, the, the the data that you're getting back to be influenced by the this the aspect of the only people that 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 can influence it have to not be afraid of public speaking. Well, no, for sure, for sure, and also minority of people. Yeah, and a lot of times it's the sort of thing where it's a little bit of a leading question syndrome, but a lot of times um, you would know the the data contamination phrase for this but it you know there's sort of a confirmation bias of once people have heard other people's opinions they get swayed in that way and um once you have one person especially in focus groups people will talk through things and then they'll you know they can come up with other stuff but sometimes in a vacuum it's it's just better so Mm. um Really, the market that we're attacking is there's an established way of doing this, and studios, I think, for the near term, will always use the old methods because they have just have no incentive to change. They'd rather spend the money, and a lot of times, it's a pacifier between them and creatives to sort of say, hey, here's a third party who's who's getting this information. It's not us. So 
they will sort of always do what they've done, but I think there is a massive disruption available for us to come in and do stuff with indies who would never test or smaller films that, you know, you could use our platform and get like 50 people together, <coughs> you know, maybe five or six times and, and just do that instead of testing it once because like, you know, you can test it once and it could be a really bad night or the recruit could be really off or it could be whatever. And so, you know, you're just offering more optionality and more flexibility for people to put data in their hands and just use it more. You know, the more data you have, the better. I mean, what's crazy is a lot of times you work for a movie, you spend a year and a half developing the script, you spend, you know, three months shooting, ton of time in post. And then how you feel about a movie comes down to what one audience of 110 people in Burbank thought on one night. And, oh, they only scored here. So I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll stop working on it and it is what it is. Like, it's insane how it only comes down to that one night a lot of times. So, um, you know, that's a true small sample size because it's in the grand picture. So I think with our platform, you'll be able to do a little bit more. Have you ever considered, I think when we first started talking about this, it was, we acknowledged that it was important that you still be able to do this in a theater setting where you've got uh, the quote unquote theater experience. So 20 other people around you experiencing the movie. Is that like, with for the, for the purposes of that kind of testing, is it materially different to let somebody just watch it on their TV or watch it on, on a, a laptop and give give the feedback? Yeah, I think the thing with that is that they are testing that process. I think there's always going to be a security issue with that in terms of what they're giving out and how that process is automated. Okay. Um, so it's easier to, to prevent someone from recording something on their phone or like with a video camera in a theater, like a like an old school bootleg movie versus just download it onto. The yeah, computer. it's it's sort of impossible to do that. I mean, like with security, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um. There's also this the general effect of if you can it's also a control basis, right, where if you say you you have forty or hundred people watching something in a room, like you knew that you know that they watched it at that time in that room, they weren't distracted by anything else. Mm-hmm. They weren't thinking about anything else. I mean, this is random, but you know, it wasn't like some something in the news happened that they got distracted by or like everyone's there, it happens, you know when it happens, and mm-hmm. you, you know they're real people. You know, it's not just somebody with five different email accounts doing the same thing. You know what I mean? It's just a little more real. Well, I wonder, like, what if, um, like, I buy all of that. But what if uh, instead of 30 people, you got 3,000? Does that, like, smooth over the fact that, you know, there could be a bunch of outliers where their their dog was barking or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that could definitely work. I think it's just more from a security standpoint. I think people sending stuff out, I think will always be, yeah. will always be tough. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the thing we made, is called friends and family. It's ffscreening.com. And, um, yeah, using it for a lot of different stuff. Uh, used it with a few partnerships we're exploring. There's, uh, use it at scream fest, which is a film festival in LA and uh, partner with them in a film called Bedevil to to do a premiere there where basically we used it, essentially the movie was done, but we used it as sort of exit polling from um, from the screening. So it was definitely cool. And they, they're going to go use that for marketing purposes. So that was definitely cool to use that. 
Um, cool, man. So I yeah, do you want to probably... do you want to call it? We're at forty five, uh, just over forty five. But this has been good. We got some good uh, good guests coming up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad we're back in the swing, and uh, we'll call it here. And um, yeah, excited to talk to Cody and and to Nate, and hopefully Eric and a few other people. Yeah, cool. All right, I'll let you go. Cool, man. We'll talk soon. See ya. All right.